we can alchemize these different relationships that are going on, which means changing their state. Alchemy is changing one state. We could live in a different world, but it starts at the, the person. It starts at, at you. <laughs> Welcome to The Madeline Show. I am so excited for today. We have Maria Dominique Lopez on The Madeline Show. She is a certified Reiki master, an intuitive energy healer, a spiritual life coach, and a professional opera singer. This woman has combined her love for singing and her, her intuitive abilities together. And we are going to learn more about what it's like to build a business out of true alignment rooted in spirituality and rooted in your heart center. Maria, welcome to the Madeline show. Oh, thank you, Madeline. I am super <laughs> psyched to be here. Oh man, I am just thrilled to be having a conversation with you. You are spoken of so highly in the different communities that I am in, and it's been a pleasure just booking this interview with you. And I actually just signed up for one of your freebies on your website. So I'm really excited to do some shadow work around boundaries. <laughs> we'll have those links in the show notes for you guys. Um, but Maria, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your life and how you got here? Oh, yeah. Um, I'm so glad you asked it that way, Madeline, about my life and how I got here, because I really do. I call my business. Um, I actually call it my life practice. I don't call it a business, generally speaking. Um, mm. And I do choose to explain that to people because it's a it's a different language to use. But I think it's important. Words are important to me. And mm. to call it a life practice is to acknowledge that everything I do now, my entire life has been leading up to this. And mm. it's so much more than just a work thing, right? And because of that, it it really, everything that happens in my life becomes art that informs the way that I heal. And everything that happens in the ways that I heal and help others heal and work with them informs the way that I heal in my own life as well and, and mm. affects the ways that I create my art and live my art in my life. So um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting that you would ask the question that way. But um, you know, I, I specialize in helping people to heal trauma that's stored in their autonomic nervous systems using Reiki. Um, and I have a one-on-one -on -one, um, program about that. And we could talk about that later about helping people heal trauma. But um, part of the reason why I focus on helping people heal trauma is because I myself have experienced so much of it. I had a really traumatic childhood growing up. Um, I had a very traumatic young adulthood and, uh, and in the process of kind of freeing myself from those traumas and then healing them in time, um, I've tried a bajillion things and kind of used what I have tried and what has been successful for me to help other people to do the same. And, uh, and that's kind of the, the foundation of what I do in my, my life practice. Um, and then of course, with singing, with singing opera, um, I've been singing since I was six years old. 
and uh, I was singing in professional choirs even when I was a little kid. So um, singing all the way through college, I have two degrees. I have a bachelor's and a master's degree in vocal performance in classical opera singing. So um, even that part of it is like my whole life has been leading up to what I do now, combining uh, Reiki and singing. So yeah, it's just, it's all kind of one long journey to get here. Do you combine the singing with the Reiki in your healing, in your sessions? Uh, it's such a great question. I do occasionally. Um, it really depends on whether or not I'm doing an in-person session um, with uh, a client or a distance session for one, um, especially because the technology we have these days compresses the voice so much over distance sessions. It's really hard to do that kind of singing with clients that are distance. But in in-person sessions, I often will bring my singing bowl and I'll do some chanting or some singing into the energy as I'm giving Reiki. It's very common. Mm. My gosh, I can't believe I haven't introduced you to Kate yet. I guess I just, I didn't really realize how, I just, I love introducing people that are in my network and you and my friend Kate, who has also been on the pod, she actually did the music for the podcast, um, the introductory music. And I've done in-person sessions with her where she does Reiki and she's using Copal and she's using um, all different sorts of like native plant medicine. She lived in Costa Rica part-time for six years and she's full-on medicine woman, Reiki master. She did my Reiki level one um, for me. And I just, oh my gosh, I love when I find people that do similar things because you both believe in like collaboration over competition and who knows what kind of magic you two could create together. Yes, I would love to meet her. She's yeah, awesome. uh, that, that, that pulls up something for me as you say collaboration over competition. And I just, I wish that more people talked about this in the healing industry, particularly, well, every industry personally. Um, the, and this is something that's so present in the opera industry too, right? Is that competitive nature of like every singer is my competition. And I've been in audition rooms before where singers are like, you can, you can just see it so clear. They're actively trying to get into your head with like what they're saying to you and how they're choosing to say it. Wow. And, and just to like mess with you before you go into the audition room, you know, mm -hmm. and, and that kind of stuff. I thought it would, I worried, I guess I should say, I worried that it would leak into, that that, that programming would leak into my life practice as a Reiki healer. Mm -hmm. And it hasn't. And I'm so glad because what I realized in my singing career before I became a Reiki healer, that then was able to leak into my Reiki healing is that when that, that idea of like the rising tide, raising all ships, right? Mm -hmm. Every single person in the world needs healing. And every single person in the world could be a healer for someone else. And every single person in the world who is a healer also needs healing. So there's enough work for all of us. I'm good. You know, I, yeah. I love, it is one of my favorite things to do to lift up other healers because think oh. about it. I mean, think about what the impact of that would be. If every single person who was a healer out there had an abundance of people that they were helping, that's a ton of people who are getting healed right? That's a ton of people who are making their world and their individual communities a better, more loving, more compassionate, more open-hearted place because they're healing. Mm -hmm. I mean, that, that speaks directly to my mission. My mission in my life practice is to create a ripple effect of healing that will cover the entire globe in healing and bring about mm -hmm. a new utopia. And I know it sounds like a big dream and it sounds almost naive to, to a lot of people, but that is the mission. And it's always been the mission for me. Oh my gosh. I feel like we should say a little prayer right now or something to just 
put the energy out there and bless the world and yeah, shine shine our light. Would you I'm totally putting you on the spot here. Would you lead us through something? Oh, I would love to. I would love to. Okay. So just bringing your eyes to a soft gaze or closing them if you feel comfortable, but you don't have to. You can place a hand on your heart to bring real physical presence and focus to this space. And as you breathe into your heart, I want you to imagine that instead of your lungs filling with oxygen, it's actually your heart that's expanding with the breath. It fills itself with love. And as you exhale, it just unclenches any little bits of doubt or worry or fear or judgment or shame. Just releasing that. Breathing in love and breathing out toxicity, anxiety, scarcity. And with your newly expanded heart, I want you to imagine the implications of what it would mean for the whole world if everyone were truly happy, truly well, and truly peaceful. What would it mean for you, just you, if you were truly happy, truly well, and truly peaceful, what could you do with your life? And now think about what it could do for everyone else too, if they were also truly happy, truly well, and truly peaceful. Taking in a big breath and mustering all of the love and generosity that you have to offer Wish it out into the universe now. Wish it out into the space, out into your world, out into your communities and your families and your friend groups. Wish benevolently that everyone be truly happy, truly well and truly peaceful and that fear and scarcity and hatred and exclusion and rejection and loneliness and disconnection and dis-ease will die. Taking one last deep breath and welcoming yourself back into the space. Say to yourself, may my work and the work of all the faithful Buddhas expand the peace, harmony, love, and expansion of every living thing. Mm, amen to that. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Oh. Yes, I'm just, I'm in love with the way you talk about your life practice. And it's on a like strategic business note, it's a really smart branding move that you, I don't know if you intentionally thought about it that way, but you're able to share with people by calling it your life practice that you have so many decades experience of this type of work, you know, when you focus on love and connection and art and expression and creativity and healing for your entire life, I see people kind of get caught up in like, well, I have this certification and this certification, but just calling it a life practice sums it all up. Um, yeah, that really hit home with me. That's so interesting. I never really thought about it in that way, but I guess you're right. Yes, you are right. That that does really infuse people with an understanding of the level of expertise that I get to bring to the table because mm -hmm. it really is my whole life leading up to this. 
decades. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I feel the same way. I'm going to have to do some journaling. I'm, I'm in a, a season of incubation. Uh, it's expansion, but first I go into my cocoon. So I'm still doing the podcast. I've still got my email list. I've got my passive product, but there's something new brewing and I don't even know what it is. And it's definitely life practice that's for sure. I'm taking this business in a direction that my life has been headed this whole time on its own unique um, thread of a way to get there. So that's great. I'm going to have to meditate on life practice and just everything around that. Just sit with that, you know. Can I offer you some um, unsolicited advice on that? Oh, yeah. Solicited away. <laughs> oh, so... I, I remember going through that, that phase where I was like, something's coming. And I just, first of all, that feeling, I love that feeling, that feeling Me of the unknown, it like feels big and delicious and juicy. It's like you're on the precipice of something and oh, I love it. Mm -hmm. uh, but I just, in my own ways, I have a Capricorn rising. So I'm like a little hard headed with things sometimes. And I like see things as like, this is the only way it can possibly be. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really needed someone from the outside to help me see my way through. Mm -hmm. And that's how I made my way to combining singing and, um, and Reiki is I really, I got to a place where I, I was so passionate about Reiki and I was so kind of over the toxicity of the opera industry. And we can get into that. I will spill all the tea for you if you want. Um, but I was kind of really over it. And I had just spent 20 years of my life at that point, 20, yeah, 20 years of my life singing mm. professionally. And I was like, wow, that's like two decades of my life that's just thrown away now. Two, you know, two college degrees, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars wasted. Like, there it goes. Bye. But I like all I want to do is Reiki. All I want to do is help people. And I brought this problem to a friend of mine. And he uh, he's actually my web developer too. Uh, hi Jonathan, if you're listening. Um, you have a nice website. I was wondering uh, if you built that. Yeah, he, he's a, a dear friend of mine. He's a violist um, who lost all of his work in the pandemic too, like I did with opera. And he started designing websites and now he does photography. He does the most brilliant photography. I could talk about him for forever. But in the context of this, he was so helpful because he was like, well, Maria, why can't it be both? And I was like, I sh I'm sure it can be. I'm not usually like a black and white thinker, Venus and Gemini. I love a balanced, nuanced gray situation, but also I don't know how to do that. And he was like, let me, let's, let me help you. Like, let me ask you questions. And he kind of probed it out of me, even though he's not a life coach and that's not his job. But my, my unsolicited advice in a very long winded way <laughs> is to uh, let you know that if you do get stuck in, in your birthing process and in your kind of um, gestating process, allow yourself to, to ask really trusted people if they have an outside perspective and if they can see something that you can't, because sometimes mm -hmm. they will open that third eye for you so big and you'll be like, Oh my gosh, I get it. And that is what he did for me. And that's how sing the light was born. Mm. Oh, can you say sing, sing the light? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that was, is that the name of your LLC or a program? Sing the light is the name of, um, it's an offering. I don't call it a program okay. because no one pays for it. Okay. Um, and it's something that isn't um, a part. It's not. It's a cornerstone and a foundation of my singing career, not of my Reiki uh, life practice. Um, but my my singing career, when I go to sing now, because I had lost such deep 
love of the art. I was just so over it, right? Like I said, mm-hmm. um, when I decided to return to singing, I decided that the only way I was going to be able to do it successfully is if I infused it with what I was really passionate about, which is helping people heal. Mm-hmm. And so Jonathan helped me in his own magical, special way to figure out Sing the Light. And that is a program whereby when I'm on stage and I am singing for audiences, I'm giving group Reiki at the same time. Oh, I saw that. I saw you talk about that. Okay. Yeah, so every performance mm-hmm. I do, I give group Reiki during the performances. It's not like I'm standing there on stage and I'm singing an opera and I've like got my hands out and you know it, mm-hmm. but I open my energy channels. I do the distance symbol. I provide intention for the space for the halls I'm in as well as the people who are there and any spirits and hearts that are open to receiving it will receive Reiki while they're listening to me sing oh my gosh wow that is so cool oh my gosh and so what I don't even know what I want to ask I just want to let that sink in you guys um if you don't already know what Reiki is, Maria, since you just described this process of seeing the light and doing group Reiki and being on stage and not necessarily telling people that's what you're doing, can you please explain what's happening? What is what is Reiki? What is happening when you're opening your channels and you're creating the symbol? Will you just tell us a little bit about Reiki? Yeah, totally. Um, okay, so I'm not a quantum physicist. I'm pretty sure you're not either, unless you are. Are you? No, I think I read a book back in the day, but. (laughs) Awesome. So I'm going to just give readers or readers, listeners, a very broad strokes quantum mechanics lesson here. Okay. So you and me and my computer and my cat and your cat, who I saw in the background and stars and small, you know, everything in the whole existence in everything in existence is all at the quantum level made up of the same matter, just different mm-hmm. conglomerations of the same matter, um, which means it's kind of like, so the Pando in Utah, have you ever heard of the Pando? Um, no, I, no, what is that? Okay, so the Pando is an Aspen forest that is uh, over 100 acres and it looks like 50,000 trees, but it's actually oh. the largest organism on earth. It's one tree. Right on. It's all yeah. united by the same root system. That's exactly what existence is. Quantum matter is our root system. And so what Reiki is, Reiki is an, it's a, first of all, it's shamanic, Shinto, Japanese, and ancient. Let us pay homage to the ancestors of this healing practice. I am none of those things. I'm not Shinto. I don't practice that religion. I'm not a shaman. I'm certainly not Japanese and I'm not indigenous Japanese. I am indigenous Mexican, but not indigenous Japanese. Um, So I like to really make sure people know where Reiki comes from and just to honor the people who who originated this practice millennia ago. Um, However, Reiki, just like every other indigenous culture on this planet, everyone at some point or another has had some sort of hands-on energetic quantum healing practice. Just so many have been lost due to colonization, right? Mm. And so Reiki is one of the only ones that survived for a number of reasons that I could get into, but that's like a whole other podcast. <laughs> but, um, but so what it is, is I, you place hands on the energy of the recipient, right? And so this can be done over distance or it can be done in person because if quantum matter is in everything and everyone, it means it's in the distance that lives between us as well, right? Right. The air also. Exactly. (laughs) Yes. And so um, 
it's so funny because like 99.9% .9 of everything in existence is just matter and like 0.1% is actual like, or it's just energy and like 0.1% is actually just like physical, the limitations of this body. It's very strange. Um, but so I place hands onto the energy of a recipient and I just funnel the energy that's already in them and around them and in everything and everyone back into them in greater quantities to promote healing and balance. And I'm not giving you my energy. That's not what's happening. So it doesn't exhaust me. It actually feels great to me because I receive Reiki as I give you Reiki. I'm like, I'm a funnel, right? I'm like a meat straw through which Reiki flows into you. Yes. Yeah. So that's kind of what it is. And the symbols um, that I was talking about earlier, um, those were developed by Master Usui, Mikao Usui, who um, is the founder of Reiki Ryoho Usui, which is, generally speaking, when someone tells you that they're a Reiki practitioner these days, they're usually talking about Reiki Ryoho Usui. And this was um, a form of Reiki, not the first Reiki, but a form of Reiki that was um, kind of created and um, like uh, curriculumed. <laughs> by mm, Master sure. in the early 1920s. And that is the most popular form of Reiki these days, but Reiki's been around for forever. Yeah. So you're, you're a channel. And so when you open up your channel, I, what you're, I, so my interpretation of that is you're on stage and it's almost like a prayer, um, but a different type of prayer, like a, like a listening prayer by, I think a listening prayer is what I mean. Like when I, I'll just give an example. I was in church the other day and by myself, <laughs> I just walked in. My grandma recently passed and I went to this Catholic church that, um, yeah, her spirit, I went to go connect with her spirit. And, um, I went to this church that I don't necessarily have like the best memories of being at, but it was really beautiful. And I went in there and I just sat and when I pray, a lot of the times I'm praying for something, strength, guidance, courage, um, or my prayers, a lot of the time aren't asking it's thanking for what's coming because of the faith and the trust. And that's like my form of manifestation. But I decided last time to just sit there and be open because when we're constantly speaking, we can't listen to source is what I've, I've noticed. I can't speak and listen at the same time. And so imagine Reiki as the practitioner almost doing this, this prayer, but they're open. They're open to receiving like the life force energy that's flowing through them and they're directing it with their meat straw onto the world or onto you. Oh my God, I love that because <laughs> I call this a meat suit when I'm like, right. what I'm wearing. Um, so yeah. I like to say that we are love sausages, that we're just pure love encased in a meat sausage casing, right? So we're love sausages. Yes, that's my favorite. Oh my God. <laughs> and we were talking about my carnivore diet before we uh, started recording you guys. So <laughs> this is totally on brand right now. <laughs> Um, well, first of all, let me offer you so much empathy um, for the loss of your grandmother. Um, mm, my grandmother was a big part of my spiritual journey. And and I'm just, it's hard. Grief is weird and inevitable mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. hard and challenging and beautiful and special yeah. and all of those things all at once. And when we are grieving, we are forced to hold so many multiple truths at once. And so just cheers to you for being mm. able to hold so many multiple truths at once in this moment, it's not easy. Yeah. Wow. That's a good way to put it. The multiple truths. And yeah, I mean, let's dedicate, let's dedicate this to grandma. Mm. Um, is that there a way to give so with quantum mechanics, quantum physics, you can, can you do Reiki and send prayers and energy to people that have passed then? 
Your eyebrows are going up. I love it. Well, I'm so glad you asked. So, um, by the way, to everyone listening, um, quantum physics is now the most proven science on earth, which means that there have been more studies done to more, to the same conclusive evidence than biology, than chemistry. So we know peer reviewed, right? So we know for a scientific fact that we are living in a quantum universe. If you believe in science. I believe in science. I like science. I think science is more and more often proving the existence of spirit, God, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I have no preference on language in that. I think it's all the same. But um, I think that science really offers us that that real ability for knowledge when faith fails us. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I definitely have always been a person who, like, my parents raised me that if you can't quantify it, if you can't put it into a box, if you can't touch it, see it, feel it, it doesn't exist. Right. Mm. And so for me to have the scientific backing behind the things that I know exist because I've experienced such miracles that I would be insane not to believe them. Um, that's really comforting to me to have that science. But um, to answer your question, can you send Reiki to someone in the spirit realm? Yeah, absolutely. Because it's all one, right? Time isn't linear. Time folds in on itself. Time isn't actually something that's real. It's something that we invented because our human brains are too tiny to understand the passing of moments, right? And Mm -hmm. so if time folds in on itself and we are living in a multidimensional quantum universe as scientifically proven by physics, then there is no reason why I can't send Reiki to a loved one who's passed away. There's no reason. I mean, I send Reiki to my food before I eat it. When I sit down to eat a meal, I give it to, I give Reiki to the meal, not only in the present moment, but I also send Reiki back in time to the animal or the plant that died for me to have nourishment to make sure that their death was easeful and free Mm. from pain and free from stress and all of those things. Mm. So I can send Reiki backwards and forwards in time. I can send it to other dimensions and I can send it across great distances. And that's the beauty of working with within a quantum field of energy. Yeah. Oh man. I just got chills through my body. Cause I just started to, you know, what you said, whenever people are talking, it's bringing up memories and sometimes like scents and sounds and stuff. And for me, what just got brought up was this, um, healing session that I did probably last fall, um, timeline therapy of going back to times that like troubled times that have, continued to create turbulence in my life. And I go, I do this visualization meditation, go back in time on my timeline. And, um, this is like a pretty intense process, you guys. So I'm like closing my eyes. Um, I was taught this from a couple different people, but I really just kind of come up with this on my own. And I close my eyes and I imagine like this long, this long hallway and I ground myself first say my prayers of intention I kind of like lift up out of my body I have been meditating for over a decade so this you know meditation is a practice so I'm like lifting out over my body I'm kind of seeing everything going on and then I rise up onto this hallway and I can go either direction I can go back to the past or I can go to the future sometimes I don't even know what I'm going back to heal but if I do then I kind of just bounce back the timeline to the date, the year, whatever it is that the incident happened. And I can go back and I can rework things. I can apologize to people. I can, because a lot of this is like making amends, um, things that I did wrong that I want to, that I want to fix. So I'm not, um, constantly regretting and thinking about the past and letting these things control my now. And so I go back and I heal and I forgive myself or I forgive others that hurt me. And I, I do this on like a timeline and a sort of regression method, come back into my body 
And I kid you not, I feel different. The things that limited me before based on something that happened 20 years ago are now lifted. I have not been able to heal everything from my past. Like, please don't think that that's what I'm saying. Um, This is a practice. And sometimes you have to do this multiple times before you feel any relief at all. But it is real and it works. And if it makes you feel better, then it works. It doesn't matter what anybody else has to say. So I'm just thankful everyone's listening to this conversation and some people are being exposed to brand new things. If you guys are going to go Google Reiki, um, I'm sure Maria actually has some advice on where to go to find more information, Um, but it's spelled R-E, oh gosh, how is it spelled? R-E-I-K-I? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. um, it's spelled R E I K I and I would go to Reiki.org. Um, th- if you ever want to know anything about Reiki and about, um, you know, the scientific studies that have been done and about the, um, origination of Reiki, um, you can start there. And then, mm-hmm. um, after that, Google the decolonization of Reiki, please, I beg you, because Reiki has been so deeply westernized and colonized over the last 80 years that it is a shadow of what it once was. And, mm-hmm. um, and that's, that's a problem. It's a big problem in the wellness industry, generally speaking, but it's, a, mm-hmm. it's an even bigger problem in the Reiki um, in, industry community uh, in the field and in the healing practices. Um, I, I, again, I could talk about that forever. And that's why I have my yeah. own program, my own Reiki certification program that that trains people in, in Reiki, but does so from a decolonized standpoint, because it's just too important to ignore. Yeah, I mean, that's how language dies by it just getting either not passed down or passed down casually. Like, I didn't know that my grandpa was fluent in Polish until he was literally on his deathbed at the hospital. It's like, oh, Oh, it would have been good to know. It would have been nice to learn. Um, he changed either, I think he changed his last name, either him or his dad, from Zdun's Czech, which is Polish, to Dunn, which is just whatever. It's a chop off. And um, a lot of people, a lot of our ancestors were embarrassed by who they were, and they let their ancient traditions go. I think also my grandpa and my grandma both ate completely off the land growing up, just in like they were really poor, um, just off what their family could grow. And we used to see it as like a luxury to be able, and it is a luxury to be able to go to the grocery store, but it's actually more of a luxury to be able to go and find food that's coming right out of the ground, grown by people um, and animals that have been taken care of. Um, I actually, for how I use Reiki, I probably use it more on my food even than me intentionally. Um, And the food that I buy is, I'm speaking to the butcher, I'm speaking to the farmer. Um, And that's just a new new thing for me, honestly, to be buying meat of that quality. Um, But the way the animal dies, the way your food is transported, um, where your water comes from, it's really important to get the best quality possible. And you get whatever you can get and just give your food love before you put it in your body. And then give yourself love for even going to the store, getting the food, making the meal, eating the meal, like that in itself is a chore. And um, depending on where you're at with your mental state and your trauma healing process and where you're at in life, just feeding yourself on a daily basis can be a challenge. And so I, I, I acknowledge that. And I know not everybody can drive to the farm to pick up the bacon from the pigs that are, yeah, there being treated well. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, there's... um there's a reason why our food supply is so poisoned now. And I think a lot of that has to do with capitalism 
and mm -hmm. um, the institutional structures that have been created to keep people poor. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult. It's expensive to buy good food. And it's, yeah. it's inaccessible in many places. There are many places, mm -hmm. especially in metropolitan areas in the United States, at the very least, that are complete food wastelands. They're deserts. They're, there's nothing but like ramen and, and ding-dongs and, and donuts, you know, and, and yeah. processed things in like little marts on the corners and stuff. There, there are no yeah. grocery stores. Next to the liquor store. store. Next yeah. to the lotto tickets. Yeah. Right. Yep. Oh, I studied environmental science in school and in permaculture and ended up doing my degree in like uh, using the permaculture principles and applying them to the educational system. Like how can we have regenerative educational systems just like we have regenerative food systems. And so um, I'm also near Detroit. And so we did some of our work down in Detroit and I'll never forget we were digging, a, it's called a crater garden. Uh, we shipped this guy, Sepp Holzer, over from Austria. He's like one of the the new age founders of permaculture. Permaculture has been around forever, but once like white people found permaculture, Sepp Holzer's your dude. And so he came to Detroit and we're like digging a hole in Detroit. And of course, like we didn't survey the land properly. So we hit like a foundation and found a bunch of trash in the ground. And we're still trying to teach this lesson um, to, the, to the people in Detroit, providing them with a garden the best we can and, and then teaching them about it. And this kid should have been in school biking by probably like, I don't know, six or eight years old. He's like, oh, can I plant a pizza tree? Like, kind of. We can, let's see, we can plant some tomato plants and you can um, have tomato paste out of that, which you can then make tomato sauce out of. And if we planted wheat, which we're not planting here, but if we planted wheat, we could create pizza crust. Um, and then you would just need some meat to go on top of that and any other vegetables and, you, and cheese and you have a pizza. And so that was a pretty profound experience for me, just being in Detroit and teaching this kid about the fact that pizza, pizza kind of comes from pizza totally comes from the earth. I actually made my parents, my mom and my stepdad pizza for dinner tonight, keto pizza. And so like you could pizza comes from the earth, but you don't grow pizza tree. And I'm pretty sure that that's if the kid was lucky, he ate pizza. And I mean, I know the area was Hamtramck Detroit and like, yeah, you're lucky if there's a head of moldy cabbage at the, they're all just um, bodegas, like grocery store, not, not even grocery store, but like marts, mm -hmm. mainly, mainly with candy and stuff in bags, sometimes a small refrigerated section. Um, it's a huge problem. And it's, you know, I live in Oakland County now in Michigan and we're 40 minutes from Detroit and it's really nice here. And there's like a line in the sand basically where it goes from like green grass to Detroit and so mm -hmm. I think a lot about how, how to get education there, how to, sh how to share the message on food. Um, and it just, it feels like something that I don't exactly have control over that. Like I almost can't help. Like we have this system that's so in place and has all of this momentum rolling forward. And it's kind of why I stepped away from like environmental sciences. I just, I got kind of depressed. I was, I was like, man, the world's going to shit, huh? And there's, there's nothing we can do about it. All right. How else can I, how else can I help then if I can't, if I can't reverse any of the damage that we've done and, um, yeah, if there's like no, cause that's what, that's what the science is saying, depending on where you read it is that we've done so much damage to the world that we can't reverse it. It doesn't matter like what, what we do, we can't reverse it. And so then what happens? Are we actually trying to create a regenerative 
planet, which means better than it is now, or are we just trying to sustain, right? Because sustainability is sustain where we're at. I don't think we want to sustain where we're at. We do want to shoot for that regeneration, but I'm still a little unsure of how, how to get there, of what the right method would be to get people healthier food and more education. Um, you know, they, they say that when you, that when you work in a field, you see that all the time, right? So like cops are looking for people to break laws. So they're constantly seeing criminals everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, My mom is a a fraud investigator. So she just is constantly seeing everyone's lies, you know, like we, Mm -hmm. we see it's that, that reticular activating system, right? We see what we're trained Mm -hmm. to look for. And you want a new car, all you see is that car. That right, you right, street. exactly, yeah. exactly. Yes, this is why I see repeating numbers on the phone all the time because I think it's uh, magical, you know? Yep, <laughs> um, yep. So, you know, that's my 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 little, uh, I guess, preemptive thought to what I'm about to say. Um, and you can take it with the grain of salt that, that maybe it's worth because of what I just said. But... I I would like to think that the ways to fix those problems, these bigger problems that can leave people like you and I feeling apathetic at best um, Mm -hmm. and hopeless at worst, um, and both of those things are terrible, um, is healing. Mm -hmm. She's a healer. Mm -hmm. She sees healing as the solution. Um, (laughs) Top story tonight. Shocking news, I know. But, um, But really, the reason why I say that is because the problems we find ourselves in now are due to the scarcity that other people feel, that people in power feel. Um, this is something that I discovered from a firsthand experience, um, doing a timeline regression, very similar to the one that you were talking about earlier, um, into a past life of mine. Um, I was trying to heal a wound that I have um, around being able and willing to charge clients for my services. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I want to help the whole world. And I was really having a hard time setting prices when I when I first started charging people for my services. And even now, like I I I know it's time. I'm raising generations of really professional, amazing, ridiculously talented, deeply decolonized Reiki healers, and I know it's time to raise my prices. And I'm struggling. Mm-hmm. And I know why. I know why I I did this timeline regression and I figured out that it was a past life sin of mine that I was still shaming myself for in this life. And now Mm -hmm. let me be very clear to your readers when I talk about past life regression. Okay. It really does not matter if reincarnation exists. It doesn't matter if you have had past lives. If your subconscious believes you had a past life, you had a past life. That's how it works because Mm -hmm. 99% of our decisions every day are controlled by our subconscious. So whatever stories you're telling yourself that you believe are true, it's absolutely true. It has no bearing on whether or not, which is why like faith is something that I think is amazing because if you have a faith practice and you really believe it's true, you don't really need the science like I do to prove it because your subconscious believes it's true. It's absolutely true. Right. Mm -hmm. So with all that said, did this past life regression realized that I had been someone in a past life who was incredibly powerful, incredibly wealthy, had political clout and chose to use that power very poorly in, and, and I, I could recognize because it was my personal experience. I could recognize with empathy that I did that because I was afraid of what would happen if I lost it all. 
I didn't know who I would be. I had defined myself by my power and my wealth. And because of that, I didn't know what would happen if I lost it. And so stepping up for what was right became incredibly scary. And I chose not to do it. And when I came out of this regression, I was able to recognize, oh my gosh, that is exactly what's happening to our world right now. The people who own it, the very small percentage of people who really own this world, who have deep amounts of wealth and power and influence, they choose to keep these systems exactly the way they are because if the systems were different, they wouldn't have the power they have and they don't know who they would be without it. Mm -hmm. So healing is in my opinion, the only way to fix these things, when those people can heal their scarcity, then they'll be able to write the check that will end hunger, that they'll be able to open up their wallets and end homelessness worldwide and still have enough money and resources to feed five generations of their families. You know, like we have enough resources on this planet, not only to sustain everyone, but to have regenerative, restorative community worldwide. It's mm-hmm. just that those resources are currently being hoarded by a very few amount of very scared people. Mm. And that's, that's, I think, where healing can come into play and really save us all. Hey there, how are you enjoying the show? I've got a quick message to share with you from our sponsor, and then I'll be right back. Are you an entrepreneur that does things differently? <laughs> just like me. Maybe your business is untraditional or non-conventional, your work uniquely you. Maybe you even see a little bit of you in me. The way you create and sell is going to look differently within the many seasons of your life as you grow. Developing balanced masculine and feminine energies in your brand allows for inevitable change over the years. The transitions happen flawlessly. Learn the strategy behind Go With The Flow and create the systems that allow you to live your dream life now because success isn't a thing you get, it's a feeling you can have today. Sign up for Build The Biz, my signature business course, teaching you the energetics of entrepreneurship at themadelineshow.com. Yeah, wow. I, I see that as as working because the healing, what it does is it lifts almost these like, I don't know if you guys ever felt like like heavy, like you you know you should be working out or you know you should be praying and meditating. You even have this this faith and you were raised religious and, and you you recognize yourself as a part of the religious community, but you can't get yourself to go to church because you're just so tired. Whatever it is, if you're feeling this heaviness, this tiredness, this this snuffing out your light, I want you to realize that healing can help lift your spirits. It can lift the darkness from you. Depending on what you believe, the darkness could be like these like disembodied spirits or like the demonic souls that have attached to your being. And um, this might be a little out there for you guys, but what I believe is that where there is light, there is dark. And where there is light, the dark goes. The dark is is addicted to the light. It's like, um, imagine like a fly and it's all dark and then the light turns on and the fly just goes to the light and it actually dies because it hits the light and it sizzles. You'll notice um, a lot of young kids that are like light beings, you know, really spiritual, open kids. They'll have um, kids that maybe have gone down the wrong path, have started to experiment with drugs or steel or whatever it is, will attach to these light beings. It's almost 
almost like they're like needing their energy to survive. Like the darkness needs the light. And then the light, there's always a shadow. It's always shining a shadow. And so both do live hand in hand, but we can alchemize it. We can shift it so that it isn't just this small amount of people scared people with decision-making power and with the money to make things happen, right? Because money is energy. So they just have a lot of energy. So how are they going to use the energy? Is it being stored? Is it being moved around? If we can alchemize these different relationships that are going on, which means changing their state, alchemy is changing one state. We could live in a different world, but it starts at the, the person. It starts at at you. <laughs> Every single person is important. And so I, I love how you're talking about how healing could actually be the answer to everything that I learned in my college degree on environmental science. Yeah. yeah. I believe it. I love that. Yeah. And I, I, I think that that's, that's why this is my mission. That's why, because when I talk about a ripple effect, I mean, I, I can tell you about clients that I've worked with that are just amazing. They come to me to heal their trauma. That can be one of those. You talk about dark spirits or demons, right? I mean, mm -hmm. Maybe you're, the thing that's holding you down and weighing you down isn't necessarily a dark spirit or a demon in the way that you might think about it, biblically speaking, but mm -hmm. maybe it's the the negative and toxic coping coping mechanisms and behaviors that you've developed in order to deal with unprocessed trauma that you've experienced in your life. And believe me, life is traumatic. There's not a single person on this earth who hasn't experienced trauma. So let's just call a spade a spade, right? Yeah. Um, but, but truly, you know, I think... I've seen clients come to me who they have this trauma, right? And I watch them work with me and I watch them like figure out all the things they need to do to heal their trauma and to change their patterns and behaviors and to learn to offer themselves love and compassion. And I watch how when they heal these wounds that are just plaguing them, how their relationship with their partners improves how their relationship with their children improves. I actually had one client um, and she she was going through my trauma healing program and she has three young sons. And as she was going through my trauma healing program, she started to learn how to set boundaries mm -hmm. and how to treat herself with deep respect and compassion and how to own you know, her her mistakes, but to do so with a lot of love and she's a very open person, so she would share this with her three young sons. And one day, her, her oldest, who's 18 uh, now, but when she was going through my program, he was 17, he said to her, you know, Mom, you've really taught me a lot about how to love and respect myself and how to set boundaries with my friends now, because I watched you do it. Like, mm. now that you've been doing this program, like, I'm seeing it, and I get it now, so thank mm. you. And she was like, it just occurred to me, like, I didn't realize how impactful doing this work would be on my kids. And I was like, yeah, and now think about it, because your kids will someday probably have kids. And this is mm -hmm. generations of your descendants who will be so much stronger because you chose to heal. That is the yeah. ripple effect that I'm talking about. Your friends see it. They witness your healing and then they go, oh my gosh, I want that for me. Your family mm -hmm. members, my parents had that experience. My dad and I were estranged for years after the 2016 election. And, uh, and I had done a lot of therapy during the pandemic. And uh, of course, you know, was doing my trauma healing thing and um, last Easter, my dad called me and we had this really beautiful, like four hour long reconnecting conversation. And, mm. um, or I guess it wasn't last Easter, it was the Easter before. And he said to me, you know, Maria, I'm really glad that you, you went to therapy and you, you saw these healers and you're doing the Reiki thing. Like, I'm really glad because, you know, your mother and I, we would never do that stuff. And 
in watching you heal yourself, it just shows us like what's possible. So thank you. Mm-hmm. And, and that I think it was so impactful for me to realize like this ripple effect, it really works. And if we mm-hmm. can just, my, my best friend Crystal says this all the time, right? Think globally, act locally. Mm-hmm. So if we can just try to, to remove ourselves from the very juicy glamour of apathy and hopelessness mm, right? and take a step Jeez. away and go, I'm going to concentrate on my little corner of the world and just see how big of a ripple I can make here. What if everyone did that? What if everyone did that? Mm-hmm. Did you, what did you just called apathy glamorous? Is that yeah. Glamorous. Oh my gosh. I love that. Yeah. People love complaining with each other. I even found myself something happened the other day that wasn't great. And I was like, oh, I can't wait to like tell my mom this. And I was like, wait a second. I don't want to just be sitting there talking back and forth about something terrible that happened. But it's so common when something bad happens that is like one of those, oh, of course this happens to me moments or this, of course this happens to us moments. You want to go tell people because we're really just seeking human connection. And for some reason, the easiest way to connect or the most natural way to connect is over travesty. Like, I don't know why that is, but it's something that I'm working to change um, in my own person. And then that will have the ripple effect because now I'm not coming to people with problems. I'm coming to people with all the amazing things that are happening and happening in my world. And then they, they know they can come to me to talk about the amazing things happening in their world. Um, a lot of us are scared to talk about the good things that are happening in our lives because we don't want to be seen. Um, what would a word be? Help, help me out here. Um, arrogant. Sure. Yeah. Celebrating. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Egotistical. Mm-hmm. Yep. Because we're celebrating, celebrating the positive, um, the positive. So, okay. No. Question. F- oh, go ahead. Oh, I just was, I'm wondering if you can talk about a couple of coping mechanisms that someone might be using to deal with their trauma that they might be totally, um, uh, blind to. And it's just the subconscious thing that they've used to protect themselves from having to, because healing means reliving the shit. Like it means going deep. So we have coping mechanisms to not go deep. And what what would some of those, what have some of those looked like with your with your clients so people can become aware maybe they're doing one without knowing it? Oh yeah, totally. Um, there are so many, you guys, there's so many. Um, a big one is workaholism. That's a mm. big one. Yeah. I'm not talking about loving your work and being devoted to it. That is not what I'm talking about. Okay. You are allowed to enjoy your work. You don't have to hate it, but feeling like when you're resting, you're wasting time mm-hmm. feeling like when you're having a weekend or you're on vacation, you are worthless because you're being unproductive. That's trauma. That's a mm-hmm. trauma response. Uh, when you find your sense of self-worth, in your levels of productivity and how hard you work and how long of days you work and how many, you know, return on investments or how many deliverables you have or those kinds of things. That's when we find ourselves in a trauma response. What's happening is you have had a trauma at some point in your life, or maybe it's a continual trauma and you have some sort of CPTSD situation um, where you have been told that your self-worth is very much wrapped up in your productivity and nothing else. Um, Or perhaps you have so much trauma in your life that that is really deeply impacting you that you don't want to sit still. Sitting Mm -hmm. still with yourself in silence means 
it's going to come up and you're going to have to face it. So I might as well just keep working. If I keep moving, if I keep doing, if I keep achieving, then I don't have to sit with that thing. Right. So yeah, and it might be totally unconscious, right? You're just uncomfortable being still. It it might not be, oh, I don't want to see my trauma, but just like, oh, I just can't sit still. I better go do something. Totally. And that, that is another one. So it's not even just the workaholism. It's also the inability to sit in stillness, the need to always have a TV on or a radio going or some sort of noise in the background, the inability to just sit in silence with someone else and not have to always be filling the space with talking, those kinds of things, definitely a potential trauma response. Another really common potential trauma response is our attachment styles in Mm. relationships. So if you're the kind of person where Um, you know, you see on Facebook that your girlfriend and all of her friends went out for some dinner and nobody invited you. Mm. And you feel like a little bit of like, oh God, like that's terrible. And so you like, make sure you comment and like on all the pictures and be like, oh, this looks like so much fun. Hope I can make it next time. Cute, cute face, whatever. Right. Like those kinds of anxious attachment styles. Right. Or if you, um, same scenario, same hypothetical scenario, but then you just like, don't like anybody's pictures and you don't talk to your friend for like two weeks, right? Those kinds of things. Those are trauma responses as well. That anxious or avoidant attachment definitely usually mm-hmm. born from trauma. Um, and then there are a lot of other things that, that come from having trauma, you know, um, our eating habits can really be informed by trauma. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I know. I definitely, um, was one of those. I, I suffered from disordered eating for a very, very, very long time. Reiki was one of mm-hmm. the things that helped me heal my disordered eating. Mm-hmm. But that was born from trauma for sure. Um, you know, disordered use of your body with exercise um, or with sexual activity. Um, there's all sorts of things over committing or um, uh, over investing in spiritual practices to spiritually bypass yourself. That's another oh trauma. Oh my gosh. So Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. yeah, just taking all the courses, all the programs, but then like not implementing. You think you're implementing, but you're just looking for you're looking for the answer. You're looking for the thing to give you the answer instead of realizing you've had the answer the whole time. Yes. We have we have all the answers, but like you said, it sometimes takes a lot of the time. It takes an outside viewpoint to just like put the dots together. There, there you go. See, you already had it. Right, right, and that's that's why I think. Um, coaches and therapists and uh, thought leaders are so important, you know, especially in my life. I, I rely on them heavily. I rely on a professional community of support for my trauma healing. Um, not because I don't think that my friends and family are capable of holding space for me. I have made and chosen and developed a really beautiful community of personal support for myself, but not all of us have that luxury. And, you know, what we all have access to is therapists and coaches and healers and those kinds of things. And while we're talking about, you know, buying really great food, buying really great therapy and coaching, also a deep financial privilege, right? And that's why mm-hmm. um, in order to create equity for for my personal life practice, I offer certain amounts of scholarships and free healing to, mm-hmm. um, particularly to clients of color, um, mainly because our institutional systems have created huge income gaps for black and brown people specifically. Um, so I choose to try and help black, brown, Asian, indigenous people more with my free healing than I would white people. But, um, I do try and provide scholarships and access to this healing in ways that, that will still help me feel like I'm helping as many people as possible. And yet being able to feed myself, all those things, right. What we were talking about earlier with the money wound. Yeah. And you get to pick and choose who you want to give a scholarship to also giving free 
work, free healing, just everyone isn't necessarily what they need. Some people do need money in skin in the game. That's an energy exchange, you know, and some people won't take it seriously or they won't. Um, yeah, they just won't take it seriously. They won't do the decompression. They won't actually open their heart. They'll be thinking about other things during the healing process if they don't have skin in the game. And you see that just in in everything. I mean, think about all the free stuff you guys have downloaded, like the free thing I just downloaded from Maria's website. It was free. I will most likely go look at it. If I paid $1,000 for it, I would 100% go look at it. So um, you don't, you don't have like to help who will buy everyone. Something, but if it's self-guided, I'm never going to do it anyway. So I'll spend the money and be like, I'll totally do it. And then I don't do it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And so um, just anybody who's looking for healing um, and looking for therapy um, and looking for support, but don't, you don't have the resources to purchase that. There are so many free resources online. There's literally a crisis line. I have called it in the last two months, straight up. And I have a therapist. So it's available. Don't feel like you can't use it because you're not like in poverty technically. Um, there's a ton, a ton, a ton, a ton of resources. Even healthcare. You could even even if you don't qualify for like government assisted healthcare and you and you also don't want to pay for private health care, you can still go get blood drawn. You just have to, you have to do the work. You have to do the research. You have to go online, see what's available in your community. I guarantee you there's something. And if you can't find anything, reach out to me and I'll help you because I, I'm really good at navigating government websites and just like the internet in general. I've been techie since I was like, 10 and coding my whole myspace page so oh yeah oh yeah i used to used to be able to but not anymore i can't write code anymore um, i never had a myspace page i was i was already <laughs> a crotchety old lady even then <laughs> oh my gosh i wish i could find my myspace i think about that probably like once a year <laughs> <laughs> oh, so i definitely cut you off to ask this question about trauma response because i think it's really important um, and I'm just like thinking about certain people in my head too. And I'm like, oh, I hope they listen to this. I hope, I hope they recognize this. It's not a bad thing that you have trauma, by the way. Like Maria said, everyone has it. You can even have trauma when like nothing bad happened. Like I, I have a friend who like didn't really experience childhood trauma, but she had a dad, like she had a great upbringing. She'll say that, but she had a dad that would leave for work. And so she had this subconscious trauma response of men leave. And that presented in the men that she would pick. Like she would choose these men that had jobs that would make it so they literally could never see her. Mm -hmm. And like, it was subconscious, right? Um, she had to recognize that there was a wound there. So, um, that's, that's another, um, kind of branch off of what I do in my life practice is I, I do spiritual life coaching, uh, like you mentioned at the top. And, um, one of the, the biggest ways I use my spiritual life coaching practice is with couples. I do a lot of couples mm. sessions. Uh, it's called the we method is, is what I call my, my sessions. Um, cause we're, we're really learning to come from like two individual people who are fighting for our own individual needs, desires, wants, egos to becoming a, we who are fighting, mm. really fighting for the unity of the relationship, right. For the, we, mm. uh, instead of the me. And, um, one of the things I've noticed in what you in what you said is, is yes, it's very, very accurate that we will oftentimes choose partners who mimic for us the deepest wounding that we had from our caretakers, whether it's a mother or a father, um, mm -hmm. or a, a caretaker of, of some other kind of babysitter, an uncle, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but we will oftentimes project 
subconsciously, of course, onto our partners the need to heal whatever our deepest wounding was as a child. So take your friend, for example, right? She has a father who leaves her to go to work all the time. So subconsciously, as an adult, she chooses men who will do the same thing because she hopes subconsciously, this is not a conscious decision, right? Uh, it's unconscious decision. But she hopes that if she can convince her partner to stay, then it means she was always worthy of love and it was her dad's fault all along and it wasn't her fault. Right. Mm. This is what we're trying to do. For for me, my mom was incredibly abusive when I was growing up, um, verbally abusive, not physically. Mm. Um, but she she was she yelled a lot and screamed a lot, and she was mm. had a very reactive temperament, and that was because she herself had a lot of unprocessed trauma. Mm. Right. She she went she's gone through so much in her life that I would never wish on my worst enemy. Uh, you know, truly, it's it's horrific what she's been through, and. And so what I, I have, I hold so much love and empathy for my mom, despite the damage she's done, because I can hold those multiple truths at once that mm-hmm. I had a beautiful, loving childhood. My mom was an amazing fucking mother. Ooh, can I swear on this podcast? Yes, it's mother, explicit. Great. My mother was an amazing fucking mother. Um, and also she damaged me deeply. Those two things can coexist. And um, she would scream at me and then she would feel guilty. And then she would say it to me with words, um, you know, I'm so sorry. You're, you're the best thing that's ever happened to me. I would die for you. You're my whole life. You're my number one priority. So now I have found myself in a pattern, which I have recently broken, but up until two years ago was patterning this where I would choose partners who could tell me they loved me, but wouldn't show me with their actions. Cause she would always swing back in the pendulum mm-hmm. the violent side, right? Always mm-hmm. in her actions. Um, and I, I even became someone who was so attached like I said at the beginning, words are important to me, right? They are. I'm a words of affirmation person in my love language. And the reason why is because the only time my nervous system felt safe when I was a kid was when I was being told how deeply loved I was. Because that was mm-hmm. the only time that my mom wasn't yelling or being violent was when she was telling me how much she loved me, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's really interesting how these things happen. And I think that it is our subconscious desire to try and gain the system of what happened to us as children. And I don't think that it has to be that way. You know, it doesn't have to be that way. It just is when we are allowing our subconscious to run our choices, especially when we talk about partnership. I actively chose my current partner because he was someone who shows me in his actions that he loves me. Mm. And and he's, he's a very interesting person. He's from New York. He's got that New York edge the way that he speaks is not always the sweetest, kindest, most loving thing in the world. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. mean or verbally abusive by any means, but like he can be a little bit brash sometimes. And for someone who's deeply overly sensitive about the way people say everything, this is, oh, this is deep medicine for me because mm. he still shows me that love in like such immense ways every day. And yet mm. sometimes he says mindless shit. And it's very interesting how I like, I consciously chose the opposite so I could retrain my nervous system to understand a different kind of love. Mm It doesn't mean that the other kind of love is bad. It just means that I wanted to break a cycle and see what would happen if I made a different choice. And you can't. Mm -hmm. Man, I love that you're bringing up, you're, you're touching on an ancestral trauma because you said your mom, you know, was dealt with what she dealt with and then coped with it by trauma bonding you and unintentionally um trauma bonding is when there's the the violence and then the love and the violence and then the love um 
my, my mom, she told me I love her so much. And she was like, I have something to share with you. I read this thing and you'll love this, Maria, if you don't already know it, because it's science. Um, but your all of your cells or all of your eggs in your womb as a woman are fully formed when you're a four month old fetus, which means you're which. which so if we go back a generation, technically I was in I was in my grandma's womb, which yeah. means the trump yeah, the traumas that she was experiencing, my grandmother, are going to come into my my life. And I just I, when my mom told me that this morning, I was just like, Oh, you get it. I love it. Yes, finally science to like show ancestral trauma. Cause we we know it to be a thing. A lot of us can feel it, especially people that recognize or that call themselves and um, identify with uh, healing as a practitioner, or people that feel like they're um, kind of like, like like witches and spiritual with the crystals and all of that. Um, a lot of them will talk about these past life traumas, like being burned at the stake in past lives and thinking about, um, and, and just thinking back to like, as like a cell, right? Because we're quantum, quantum physicists now. So... <laughs> That little cell is made up of everything that we are made up of now. It's the same. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's so interesting because you talk about the science of epigenetics. Epigenetics is a fairly new science. It's only been studied for about 90 years now. So we've only been able to prove scientifically three generations of ancestral Mm. Um, trauma that gets passed down. And, and for the listeners, what I talk, what I mean when I say what we've been able to prove is that they've found that when we experience adverse life experiences, ALEs, um, which are traumas, they literally rewire the way that our nervous system and DNA replicate. They Mm. rewire the way that our brain processes problem-solving abilities. It's an evolutionary aspect to our survival. It's amazing, right? But Mm. also it means that it does literally, it's not just like a theory at this point, we scientifically can prove that the DNA re-replicates in a new way that then passes down to your mom, that then passes down to your egg. And what the cool thing is that they have been able to prove with mice in these experiments is that, uh, they will put mice into a, and by the way, I do not condone testing on animals. This is when they first started these studies 90 years ago, before we understood what animal rights were. Okay. So just, yeah. Starting there. That's okay. Um, I don't, yeah, I'm not going to judge you. No one here judges. <laughs> but better than testing on babies. Right, right. Uh, they did these, these studies with these mice where they would put them in a, a maze, and if they turned left, they'd get the food eventually. Mm-hmm. If they turned right, they would always get shocked. By the time mm-hmm. five generations of mice were born in this, in this lab, they never turned right anymore. They wow. just turned left. This is why when you get like an instinct of like, I shouldn't do this, right? It could be your ancestral trauma going, we've been through this before. Don't do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's intense. That was the... Uh, this whole conversation has been so powerful. We have about 10 minutes or less left. And I want to make sure, like at this point, normally my eyes are kind of glazing over in an interview, but I just want more of Maria. <laughs> Don't you guys? Um, you had mentioned in the questionnaire that I had you fill out um, something about the fourth Reiki principle and your connection between opera singing and your life practice. Oh, yeah. Do you want to share that? At the heart of this podcast, it is a, a business minded podcast. Um, I want to bring up the fourth Reiki principle. So we were talking about master Usui before and how he kind of, um, 
created a curriculum for Reiki in the early 1920s. And part of his curriculum was the five Gokai. And the five Gokai are the five Reiki principles. And you can look them up. Um, but the fourth one is just for today, my most authentic self will be displayed in my work. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that is so important. And that learning that Gokai and really part of what I did to become a Reiki healer was really try to embody those five principles as, as deeply as I could on a cellular level for a very long time. And I, I do think that that is what, what, that's what I teach my students to do. And I do think that, that is part of what prepares your energy to be attuned to the universe uh, and to be able to channel as the meat straw. And, uh, and so when we consider what it means to allow our most authentic self to show up in our work every day. It means that we are living our purpose. It means that we are living our mission. And if you don't know what your mission is, I encourage you to journal on that today. Try and take a minute to really ask yourself, like, what is my mission? If I could achieve anything in this life before I die, what would I want that to be? And then really measure your actions by it. And that's not to say that you can't have a mission uh, like mine of healing the whole world and still work in a cubicle office doing tech support or whatever. I don't know. You can still do that because guess what? When you show up to work as your most authentic self and you're in tech support and you help someone who's really frustrated with their day and you do it in a really loving and open-hearted and compassionate way, that interaction just healed them a little bit. And when you show up to the water cooler and your friends are complaining about your boss around the cooler, but you're able to show up with empathy and compassion for everyone in the situation, including your boss and them, you heal your coworkers. Mm -hmm. There are ways to show up in your work that, that can help you feel like you're living your purpose and your truth and your mission and as your most authentic self, but that don't require you to give up stability and security or don't require you to, you know, sell your condo in New York and move to Barbados and become an ice cream scooper. Did you ever read that article in the New York Times? It was amazing. But No, I don't read the New York Times, but you can send it. I'll, I'll read it. I can find it. I will. Yeah. It was a long time ago. I think it was New York Times. Anyway, um, it was about this woman who was a, like a high powered lawyer in New York and she like sold her condo and moved to like, oh I, I don't know if it was Barbados, but she moved to some island and became an ice cream scooper and she's never been That's happier, right? freaking awesome. Right, it's great. But also you don't have to do that in order to find your most authentic self. And mm -hmm. I think that we can hold them multiple truths at once, that we can be pure spirit and also live a 3D life, that mm -hmm. we can be love encased in a meat sausage meat sack, right? That we can live and work in a system that is broken and sick and diseased, mm -hmm. but we can be a part of the ways that it becomes healed from the inside out. Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I mean when I talk about living that fourth principle, my most authentic, just for today, my most authentic self will be expressed in my work. Mm. Thank you for bringing that to the Madeline show and for bringing that into my world. This podcast is my way of healing um, a lot of wounds, actually. this I mean, I'm, I bring a lot of people on here that do similar stuff to me, other life coaches, other business coaches, and it's and other women. And it's my way of uh, healing the sisterhood wound. It's my way of healing the jealousy wound. It's me being in integrity with what I say, collaboration over competition. And every day it's a practice. It's not easy. It is definitely not easy. Um, and, and it's a practice 
and there's something else you said that I really, that I want to just reiterate to everybody before we go is that you have this mission. I mean, you can have your own mission, but God's mission, universe, source, Reiki mission for you is to be this love bomb of white light in your meat suit. That's why you're here. Otherwise you wouldn't have the meat suit. Um, you would just be a spirit <laughs> or whatever you believe, um, which I believe you would just be a spirit if you didn't have the meat suit. And so you actually, you were put here for a reason. Your soul actually chose this. It chose to be in this body. It chose to be here now. You might think, oh, I would have done way better in the 70s or I wish I grew up in the 20s, whatever it, whatever it is. Wish I was Gen Z. I don't think I I wish I was my Gen class, Z. to be honest. <laughs> oh my God, Yeah. Wishing you were an animal, seriously. You got to remember, you chose this body to be here right now, right where you are, experiencing all the problems you're experiencing, experiencing all of the magic you are experiencing. You chose it. Just like you choose most of the things you do on the subconscious level, you also chose this. So the next time you're wishing that you weren't here doing this, wishing you were somewhere else, wishing things would just move along faster or regretting the past, remember that this moment right here is specifically designed for you and you are pure love. And if you're feeling anything but pure love, I highly recommend reaching out to Maria and setting up a healing session because if she hasn't already proved that to you, you're going to want to re-listen to this episode. She can help you help yourself. That's really what it boils down to. She's not the miracle worker releasing your traumas from you. She is, of course, facilitating her love energy in the process. I'm assuming I've never done healing with you, but I can just kind of tell based on who you are that you are helping the person help themselves by showing them the way of light through Reiki, through your own love, um, which having as much con unconditional love as you seem to have for people is a goal that I have for myself in this lifetime is to just love more deeply. And I know I have some trauma work to do before I can get there. Um, but I'm in the process of just being aware to it. Like when I'm getting annoyed by the random person or when, yeah, like when I'm at the grocery store and just like, oh, this lady just move or whatever. She's in my way. It's like, okay. Madeline, where's the compassionate love? Let's use this as an opportunity and patience and practice and like literally just observing your coping mechanisms for the disease you're experiencing in life is the first step of recovery. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I, I think I've had a lot of people come to me in the last couple of years who specifically want to work on exactly that, on mm. growing their level of compassion uh, in their lives um, and that unconditional love and becoming more of that in their life and in their work and in their families and in their friend groups. Um, and, and it's interesting. Like I never thought of that as my particular brand of magic, but mm -hmm. the more people who come to me saying, Oh, this is what I want to do. And this is why I chose you. I'm like, Oh, I guess this is something I do. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really, someday I'm going to have to create a class about how to access that unending well of compassion. And I know that it's possible mm. because I can do it. So, um, and I've taught people to do it, but, uh, but yeah, someday mm -hmm. I'll, I'll create something that'll be more clear about that. But as far as what you said about, um, you know, me not giving me energy, um, or me kind of channeling that. Yeah. I think, I think it's important for, for everyone to recognize I am not healing you. You are healing you. I'm, a guide walking on the path next to you. Mm. I just have been down the path before a little bit further. I haven't seen the whole thing. I've seen like maybe the next five steps ahead. And then I walked back to walk with you along your path. Mm -hmm. That's it. So please don't make me your guru. 
Please don't make me the the you know Zen Buddha on the mountaintop that I am not. I I am a fellow traveler, and mm. I I'm here to help you in my own way if I can, and I I believe I can, and um, yeah. yeah. If you are looking for some revamping to the energy, if you're looking for a way to talk about your trauma in a in a different setting than therapy, if you're looking to work with your partner on getting closer and, and being more intimate, all of those things, reach out. I got you. Yeah. And uh, you can just go ahead and look in the show notes, whatever, if you're on YouTube or any of the podcast sites, we'll have links to Maria's website and it's beautiful website, very easy to navigate. You'll see all the different ways that you can work with her. Thanks for coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me, Madeline. Hey, loyal listener, please rate and review this podcast. Your feedback is needed and you matter. It would be an honor if you shared this with a friend. Send this episode to whoever pops into your mind first. It's like a little exercise on intuition and trust that that insight is the hand of God working through you to make someone else's life better today. Visit themadelineshow.com to stay up to date on my free trainings and different offerings, including self-paced online programs that activate your mind and enhance your life. Who knows, maybe you'll find something today that completely changes your tomorrow.